Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. Hello, Creative Giants, and thanks for joining us on the show today. I'm delighted to have Tara Gentili join me on the show today. Tara is a business strategist and the author of Quiet Power Strategy. She works with entrepreneurs and idea people to help them leverage their quiet power and build businesses that generate wealth, peace, and ease. Her clients learn to lead themselves and their businesses based on what makes them most effective and compelling. Tara's work has been featured in Fast Company, Forbes, Design Sponge, and in the New York Times bestselling book, The $100 Starter by Chris Gilbo. She's a regular instructor on Creative Live and speaks on entrepreneurship, money, and the new economy all over the world. Tara, thanks so much for the work you do and for joining us on the show today. Well, thanks so much for having me, Charlie. This is going to be a fun conversation for all sorts of many um, and varied reasons. But let's go back to your beginning because I know a little bit about it. And there's this whole philosopher thing that we're going to re- touch in on. But um, tell us the story of how you got started on this crazy entrepreneurial road. Sure, I would love to. So um, we can go all, the whole way back to the beginning, which is um, me jumping out of the, the life plan that I had had for myself for, uh, you know, really since I was like 12 years old. And that was that I wanted to, you know, grow up, go to college, get my PhD and become a professor. And not just in anything, what I really was into was religious studies. And so I went to my, uh, you know, my little liberal arts college in Pennsylvania, Lebanon Valley College, go Flying Dutchman, and uh, got my degree in uh, religious studies. I was studying, I was really into kind of uh, 20th century uh, Christian theology, it was kind of very specific, um, and had gotten accepted to my top choice uh, graduate school. Uh, to study with somebody that I considered a hero and was really, really excited until I had this huge crisis of faith, really, and uh, not over my faith, but instead over that career over that career path. And I thought, wow, I am this is not a sure thing. I'm never going to have a regular paycheck. I'm never going to have any kind of job security. I may not even you know, get out of school and actually get a job uh, in doing what I want to do. And this is a big investment of my life, of time, of money to actually go and do this thing that I've been wanting to do for forever. Uh, So I dropped out two weeks before I was supposed to leave. I dropped out and got a full time job uh, at you know, where I had my summer job, which was at a Borders Books and Music. And I worked my way up in management there over the course of about five years And in that fifth year, I um, got married, got pregnant, and uh, was just about to have my baby. I was nine months pregnant. And the job that I had been kind of being groomed for for those five years finally came up. And I interviewed for the job, blew the interview out of the water, and got a phone call a couple of days, a couple of weeks later that I didn't get the job. Uh, that they had given the job to somebody um, less qualified, with less experience uh, than I had, and I was livid. And it was at that moment 
that I decided no one is going to give me the job that I really want. No one is going to give me a career where I can use the skills that I have and put them to use in the way I want to put them to use. And if nobody else is going to do it, then the only person who can do it is me. And so I sat down at my kitchen table a couple days later and I wrote down all of the skills that I had, all the things that I knew I loved to do, all the strengths that I had as an individual. And then I wrote down all the organizations and people and companies that I felt like I could bring those skills to. And I looked for opportunities to do that. Of course, uh, that didn't last too long because then I actually had the baby. (laughs) But uh, but six months after my daughter was born, I started my first website and kind of figured out step by step, piece by piece, how I was going to take those skills that I had outlined six months previously and put them to use. And I'm still putting those skills and, and strengths to use today. Um, and that's really kind of how I've gotten to, to where I am, just constantly looking for the opportunity to create what I want to create, to use the skills that I have and to really apply my strengths in all areas of the work that I do. Cool. So give us a timestamp for when you actually started that business. Sure. So I started my business in January of 2009. January of 2009. Um, I've been following you for a while, so I know you've had a pretty, it seem, it may not seem like a takeoff to you, right? Because it never does. Like I've been working like forever on this, but you know, I, I, I remember stumbling upon you in 2011 or so, and you've had quite a, um, quite a ride since then. I have. Yes. What I wanted to pull back though, is you mentioned that there wasn't, hmm, you mentioned that no one was going to give you the job that you wanted. And as you were explaining that, I was like, you know, it seems obvious in hindsight because that job didn't exist, <laughs> right? There was no job for anyone to give you. And that, that is, I believe, one of the cool things about the entrepreneurial or creative giant road is at a certain point you realize you've got to create that job for yourself. You've got to create that life for yourself and not wait for other people to pick you or provide the opportunity for you. Have you noticed that to be true as well? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Alrighty. So you came out of the gate. Talk to us a little bit about your initial steps. What were some of the hardest lessons you learned in your first two years of business? Oh, wow. Um, Some of the hardest lessons I learned, um, I think, first of all, that it wasn't about finding ways for people to give me money. It was about finding ways to create value. And Uh, You know, when I first got started, I was very much like in the blogger space where I was trying to make money from a blog. I was publishing content multiple times a day and selling advertising. And that was my that was my business. And that model is very much you know, you are creating value, but the the revenue for it is really based on how, what are all the different ways I can get people to give me money to support what I'm doing. And that can work, but it's actually a really difficult path. Um, I'm I'm so glad that I don't have to spend a lot of time anymore uh, dissuading people from the advertising path <laughs> because for so many people, it just doesn't work. But um, what I really learned there was I had to find a way to solve people's problems. Uh, selling advertising, sure, it solves a particular problem, but it's it's not it's generally not life-changing. It's generally not super transformative. And what I really wanted to do or what I really figured out I had to do was figure out a way to be, to make, uh, you know, life changes for people, to create transformation for people, to take their problems or their questions and provide solutions for them. And when I started doing that and then putting appropriate price tags on them, I 
found a whole new level of business. And again, like you, like you said about no one ever having to give you or no one being able to give you that job. It seems obvious now, but at the time it was, uh, it was earth shaking to me, figuring out that there were things that I could just create that people would want to purchase from me, solutions, answers, um, frameworks, processes, that was completely life-changing for me. Um, I think another lesson that I really learned early on was the value of talking to people and creating relationships with people. Um, I'm by nature an introvert. I am basically like an isolationist. (laughs) I'd be very happy to just be at home most of the time and not talking to anyone, just writing or reading or thinking. Um, But I also realized that that was never going to get me anywhere. And I really had to break out of my shell and start relationships with people who could help me get where I wanted to be, um, where we could help each other get where both of us wanted to be. Um, And that was a huge lesson for me. And I find it's a lesson that I talk to my clients a lot about as well, because, um, you know, I don't know if it's the type of business that I have. The way I market myself, the way I market my work, but I attract a lot of people who are very similar to me where they're just most interested in the relationships they have with their ideas. And part of my job is getting them excited about get starting relationships with other people and how much that can bring to the ideas that you have as well, how much that can fuel your creativity and help you find new ways to create value for for others. Um, so yeah, those, those are probably the, the two biggest things. In what ways did your background in religious studies both give you advantages, but also give you some disadvantages um, in your early days? Yeah, I really appreciate that question. So um, the biggest advantage that it gave me was I have an inherent knack for understanding how other people see the world and being able to communicate with them based on that worldview. And really, that's just another definition of marketing. <laughs> so understanding people's uh, belief systems helped me understand how to market to them, how to connect with them in a way that built trust and that got them to do the things that I wanted them to do, like click a link or buy this product or you know think about this particular idea. So that's been a huge advantage. And it's not only a huge advantage to me as a marketer, but it's also a huge advantage to me as a coach and a consultant and a strategist as well, because I'm able to do it for other people and not only just do it for them, but teach them how to see it as well. That it's not just about a particular set of marketing tactics or a particular formula or a particular set of fads that are you know really popular right now, but really it's about understanding people's value sets, understanding um, what they associate with, with uh, the products that they use, the meaning that they bring to the services that they buy, um, and really help them see kind of the full integrated um, worldview that people have about the things that they buy or and the things that they use on a daily basis. I think the disadvantage for me is that I tend to overthink things and I tend to want to dive way deeper than any of my clients or customers or readers want to go. And it's not because they're not deep and intelligent people. They're extremely deep and intelligent 
extremely intelligent people. They just don't care as much about the inner workings of business as I do. And rightly so. That's why I do what I do. And that's why they do what they do. So what I've had to learn is to take what I get out of this understanding of how other people see the world and and how I understand business and pull it way back up so that I'm talking to people about the things that they actually care about. Um, And constantly, Constantly be asking myself, okay, I understand this insight. I get this. I, you know, this process makes sense to me. How how am I going to make it matter to everyone else? And one of the biggest mistakes I made early on was not asking myself that question, simply trying to teach from the deepest possible point. And over time, I've been able to get really good at figuring out what the message is that's going to matter most to the people who matter to me. And then work them through and take them deeper and deeper to a level that they feel comfortable with. Um, And I've also been able to create opportunities in my business to work with people who get as excited as I do about understanding things as deeply as I do. And that's been really, uh, that's been really beneficial as well. I asked that question because of my journey is very similar, you know, completing my, completing a degree in philosophy and still finishing my my PhD and everything like that. It's very similar in the sense of like, you mean this idea is just not, what do you mean I have to make this practical? Like, it's just interesting on itself, right? And then there, there's a time and a place for that. And, you know, that, that's what I've noticed from your from your later work is um, much more succinct, much more market-oriented, but not in a bad way. So what we want to talk about, you and I would share this, is there's a difference between being simple and being simplistic, right? And being able to take a deep idea. Because really, when we get to business, not just marketing, but when we get to business, it's really about... Um, people's worldviews and their core needs and their core values and figuring out how what you create aligns with their worldview and with their needs and with their values. And, you know, that's the background. That's why I love liberal artists who come out and, and get into the business and entrepreneurial world because you spent, I don't know, four to 12 years just really understanding the last 4,000 years of people's worldviews. And so you can come out and be like, oh, that's where this is. And also, you know, it gives you a lot of, Humility, because you realize I'm not going to come up with anything really new. It's all been done before in a way. I might come up with a new way of explaining something, but you get out of this whole novelty thing. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Go. Yeah, actually, if I could say something about that, too, that's been uh, something that I know my people are struggling with a lot right now is that, you know, well, Tara, OK, if if I go to this thing that actually matters to other people, if I take it to that place where it makes sense to them, well, then I'm just offering the same thing everyone else is offering. No, you're solving this same problem everyone else is solving, but you're doing it in a way that's completely unique to you. We, You need to have both. Um, it's not good enough to just have your great idea. You have to make it matter to other people and you have to be able to communicate to them. You know, the reasons that other people's solutions haven't solved this problem for you is because they haven't done it the way I'm doing it for you. And let me tell you more about that process within the context of this problem you've been trying to solve for weeks or months or years. Yeah, well, it's that and we don't recognize in business sometimes that our biggest competitor is nothing in the sense that people just don't know that a solution out there exists or they don't know that that problem that they have is actually a problem that other people deal with. Right. Um, and so obviously when you're the practitioner or when you're the business owner, like, you know, the problem, you know, of the solution, and you know, of all this stuff. But, you know, on the other side of the fence, like sometimes you just have to show up and that's the, you know, show up in the right time for the right people and do that repeatedly enough, which it can be a challenge in and of itself, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Alrighty. So 
along the way, you started Kickstart Labs. So tell us a little bit about Kickstart Labs and, and how that um, is a evolution of your work. Yeah. So when I first started my business, I was creating small products, small solutions, small like workshops in a box, essentially. And that's what I was selling on a regular basis. Um, I knew I really liked and leveraged offers. I liked passive income, if you will, although I don't really prefer that term. Um, So I liked teaching concepts to many people through one particular thing. But I found myself in the cycle of constantly needing to be developing the next thing to keep the revenue coming in. And I know it's a problem that a lot of people face. Um, I knew that the solution was focus. I knew that, you know, I needed to create something that I could market over and over and over again. Um, But I didn't want to stick to just one thing. So Kickstart Labs became a container for my shiny object syndrome. (laughs) So essentially, I knew that I could create this one container that allowed me to create all of the little solutions that I knew my community needed, all the problem solving that they needed, I could contain within this one offer so that I never needed to to market individual solutions. I could market this whole container. On top of that, it allowed me to create a community space, which I, as I mentioned before, I saw my people sorely lacking. Um, and it gave me a way to give people access to me and access to you know my ideas and my answers, uh, which was something that they were asking for and something I found myself wanting to do less and less of so that I can concentrate more and more on my ideas. Um, so that's where Kickstart Labs came out. And essentially what Kickstart Labs is, is a it's a, my complete resource library. Um, so everything basically I've ever created is housed in this community. Uh, it's a micro business Uh, community as well. Uh, So, you know, you can talk to other people who are struggling with the same things you are, and you can also benefit from the expertise of other people. You know, there's graphic designers and there's SEO specialists and there's money people all in this community that are there for, for my business solutions, but are also there in a capacity where they can offer help and, and guidance to other people in the community as well. And then there's the access to me. Uh, So it's, I saw it not only solving my problem, uh, but also solving, you know, people's individual problems and then solving this much larger problem, which is how do I know where I can always go to find the answer to the question I've got? And that's what Kickstart Labs really is to me. As an introvert, how do you manage all of the social energy that comes up with, you know, marketing and then Kickstart Labs and then teaching at Creative Live and you know, networking and all those different things, because I know this is a particular challenge amongst people who are on the introverted side of the whatever the verted scale is. Yeah, absolutely. So I have to say that social media and just online networking in general has been a godsend to me as an introvert. Um, I don't need a ton of space. What I need is time to think. And so you know, interacting online with people gives me time to think, whether it's replying to a tweet or replying to a Facebook post or answering a question in a forum. I've got that extra second to think, to research, to bring all the information that I've got about what's going on together so that I feel comfortable showing up the way I want to show up, which is, I think, a big part of being an introvert. Um, on the on the in-person side of things, that's where things get really exhausting for me. Um, you know, you mentioned Creative Live and Creative Live is, you know, this last time I was there, I was there for five days of filming. It was an 
absolutely like it was an incredible experience and incredibly exhausting as well. Um, what I've found, oh man, I found so many lessons from this. One of the things is making sure that, that I have clear boundaries and clear systems in place for taking care of myself. And that doesn't always mean completely checking out of the group. Uh, you know, a lot of times I can go out out for beers after I get done at Creative Live, but it's because I've taken care of myself in the space. Uh, some of that means, you know, I kind of, I handpick my studio audience <laughs> so I know that I'm going to be comfortable with the people that are there. I've got great relationships with the people who work at Creative Live, and I know they're always taking care of me and they're always trying to make it easier for me. That keeps my energy up much more. Um, and then, you know, I don't try and eat lunch with the group, right? Like I do pull myself away and make sure that I've got time to recoup. So I've got these really specific things that I do to make sure the energy to, to perform the way I really want to perform. And then part of it is actually giving myself permission to not do some of the things that everyone tells you you've got to do. I don't do networking events. I don't do cocktail parties unless I'm going to be in a group of people that you know, I feel really comfortable with or that, um, you know, I have a really specific purpose for being there. But going to a networking event or a cocktail party is one of the things that I hate doing most in this world. <laughs> and as long as I'm finding ways to build those relationships and to get out of that type of event um, or get out, get out of something else, what I would get out of at one of those events, I've just been very gentle with myself and giving myself permission to not do that that kind of thing anymore and being okay with that. I mean, I think a lot of times as introverts, we're trying to fit ourselves into other people's ideas of what works. And that's one of the worst things that you can do because when you try and fit yourself into someone else's plan or someone else's formula or some, someone else's idea of success, you're actually denying the things about you that are most effective and compelling. Um, and if you were to actually use those things, the things that do make, you know, talking to you really attractive or make people get really excited about your ideas, you're going to get way more traction and in a way that's much more comfortable with you. So a lot of being an introvert in today's space for me is just giving myself permission to do things differently. If you can um, articulate what the either fear or discomfort is, because you mentioned several times that it's not people and it's not live. It's, you know, when you have people that you're comfortable with, you can do it. So what is that fear or that discomfort? What's the source of that? Yeah, for me, it's not knowing what the expectations are, which I think from talking to people, that's a pretty common um, introvert thing. When you don't know what other people's expectations of you are in a social situation, it's very difficult to navigate that situation. So I try to set up my social situation so that I'm the expectation giver, <laughs> not that other people are the expectation giver, which is why standing on stage is so easy for me. I have no problems giving a talk to a small group, a medium-sized group, a big group, doesn't matter. But it's because I am the expectation at that point, right? I am in control of how people perceive me, at least to a certain degree. I'm in control of what they're expecting. I'm in control of what I'm give, putting out there. Um, when I'm in an 
uncertain social situation, I'm, I'm feeling a complete lack of control. And I just, you know, what I want to do is I just want to be liked, right? I just want people to feel comfortable with me. Um, and I worry about that so much that it ends up making me not very likable. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that one. Um, what many people don't know about strategists is that we're control freaks. How does that get in your way as you're growing your business or as you're navigating this entrepreneurial journey? Oh, um, this is something I have worked really hard on over the last year and a half. Um, the people who work with me, uh, there are the number of people who work who work with me has expanded greatly in the last year and a half. Um, one way. I think I actually use it to my advantage is by allowing other people a lot of control too. For instance, I don't work with employees. I still work with contractors, but I work with contractors because I'd rather bring people onto my team who have that same sense of wanting control and that same sense of self-determination that I have. It's easier for me to work with uh creative experts than it is for me to work with people I have to manage because if I have to manage them then I have like then I'm almost feeding my control monster and it doesn't it doesn't look good on me (laughs) um I think that said setting really clear expectations for myself for my business for the way people in my team come and go um has also been really important. So again, it's less about managing in the moment and more about creating an environment where people can do their best work. Um, And, but that's been, I mean, that's been such a struggle. So I feel like now I don't have as much problem with being a control freak, but it, it, I mean, for a long time, it meant I didn't ask for help when I really needed help. It meant I didn't try new things because I know I would have to ask for help. It meant I didn't boundaries or challenge myself because it would require giving up control in a certain way. Um, But I just, I got to that point where, you know, what I've got isn't good enough for me anymore. It's not what I want to be creating. It's not what I want to be doing. And so I've got to break through this. I've got to find a way to give up those pieces of control uh, if I'm going to break through to the next level. And I'm, I'm very glad to be able to say that at least to a point, I've been able to do that. There's this ebb and flow cycles when you go in the, you know, in the business life cycle to where in the beginning, it's actually really great that you have that sense of control and determination. But as your brand grows and scales and you recognize that it's a co-created thing, you got to let go. And that's really, really challenging. And I say that not just from an observation, because I mean, I carry that same trait too of, of, of you know, <laughs> um, wanting things to go a certain way and spending a lot of time just stacking the deck so that it goes that way until you realize like, you know what, this can go places that I just can't even imagine, right? I just can't see that. And I have to trust that if I let it go and just show up in certain ways that the rest is going to take care of itself, you know? Yeah. And I think it's having that that vision too. Um, and I think for a lot of creative entrepreneurs, their vision gets almost stunted because it's based on what they themselves can create. And when you finally let yourself go to see something that's bigger than you. And it can be as simple as just changing the relationship that you have with your business. Like this doesn't require some divine download or revelation. It's just a matter of saying, I am not my business. This is not my job. Um, I'm creating something that's bigger than myself. I may not know what that is 
exists yet, but I'm creating something that's bigger than myself. Um, you know, it was for me, it was when I really started to see quiet power strategy as a system. And this this started probably two, two and a half years ago, where what I wanted to create wasn't just income for myself or a job for myself, but I wanted to create something that could stand without me. And the goal was to start training other people on how to use it. That was really that was really the biggest shift for me because then I had to say, if this is what I want, if this is the vision that I have, I've got to give up that control. I have to empower other people to take ownership over this as well. Um, and yeah, and so it, it, it is, it's just that change of relationship that you have to, for your vision. I mean, I think if you're still holding a vision of creating a job for yourself, you're going to get stuck in that control freak <laughs> cycle over and over again. If instead you can see a vision of something that's bigger than you or beyond you or that requires more than just you, you you start to be able to push yourself to a place where you're you're going to overcome the difficulties. What were a couple of spark moments in your career where you knew like this is it. This is this is my jam. This is what I want to do or that I'm I'm in my sweet spot. Yeah. Um most of my moments all happen on stage. <laughs> I really like getting an idea to the point where I can stand on a stage and present it to people and have them accept it and use it and, and start talking about it. It doesn't even have to be to the point where it's, it's inarguable or that it's perfect. It just has to get to a point where it can spark a bigger discussion. Um, and so, you know, I can, so, so many, but, um, you know, I spoke at Etsy headquarters once and it got broadcast out to tens of thousands of people. And it was like, yes, this is what I want to do all the time. Please sign me up. Um, it happened, uh, when I first got on creative live and thought this is the most amazing thing I have ever done. I'm teaching a small group of people and I'm teaching tens of thousands of people. I would like to do this every week, please. Um, not really, but maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> Not really, but maybe depends on if I can control the space. Exactly. Yes. Or it just depends on if I also have enough time to create that much content. That's that's the bigger problem. Um, you know, it uh, it happened last year at Pioneer Nation and not actually being on stage, but instead facilitating discussion in in a big group and being able to pull together little threads and, and bring those to people as a complete thought at the end of it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I really think that that every time that spark has gone off for me, it's been in a position where I'm relating an idea that I've been working on for months and I'm or years and I'm doing it in a space where people are interested in that idea and willing to engage me further on it. I'm going to pull this out because we've talked about two things that I want I really want the introverts to hear here, right? Because what you just mentioned is that most of your spark moments have been the very things that terrify many introverts, right? Being on stage and crafting this, like in the way, in, in many of the, the introverts' narrative of their own space. So what's interesting is how you've been able to coax this orientation, this affinity around people, but at the, still, at the same time, um, lean into that sweet spot of this is where I'm doing my best work and I'm having the greatest impact. So I just wanted to pull that out for people listening who might be like, ah, but I'm afraid of public speaking or I'm not comfortable around groups. There's there ways that you can coax this and Tara has figured out a way to do it for her. Yeah. I mean, there's two 
questions that I ask my clients on that same subject. The first is, um, when have you been most effective persuading other people? So when is it that you create a connection with other people, an individual or a group where you're able to get them to buy into your side of things. And then the other question is, how do you like connecting with people? How are you most effective connecting with people? Is it over coffee? Is it over a beer? Is it in a webinar? Is it from stage? Where are those, what are those moments you've had in life when you've just naturally connected with people? Uh, Because the fact of the matter is, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, you're in business, you've got to connect with people. That's like, that's our job. <laughs> whether it's customers, whether it's prospects, or whether it's strategic partners, you've got to be able to connect with people. So you need to know how you're most effective doing that. For me, yes, absolutely. It's on stage. It's in interviews. It's on coaching calls. It's largely where I'm presenting things. Uh, but it's not that way for everyone. There's a lot of people in my audience who are uh, listeners. Their, their actual way of communicating is listening. Um, and so they need to set up systems in their business to constantly be listening so that at the end of that, you know, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour of listening to other people, they're bringing that subtle but dramatic insight that allows them to create a deep connection with people very, very quickly. Um, so whatever it is, you, you know, be thinking about how it is that you've been most effective persuading people and how it is that you've been most effective connecting with other people, uh, because that's going to lead you to that path of what's effective for you. An alternative way to think about this. And, you know, one of those things I figured out about this is because I'm actually an ambivert. I could be extremely extroverted and I could be extremely introverted depending upon the context. But what I've figured out is I get, I get afraid and uncertain and uncomfortable when I don't have a feedback loop. And if it's if I'm talking to one person and I don't have a feedback loop, or if I'm on a webinar to you know preaching to thousands of people, right? It's not being able to see the feedback because I can't see like what's going, what's working, like I. So I have a very big problem with that, which is why you know one of the reasons like as we're doing this podcast, I'm looking at Tara and, and, and things like that because it's a feedback loop, right? And so, but whatever that is, is when you identify, oh. I need to have a feedback loop or, oh, I need to be able to control expectations or, oh, or at least know what expectations are, not control them. Or, oh, I need to set up a place where I can listen. Well, that like that's where you start being able to figure out crafting your business, your life, your creative endeavors such that they really work for you. And maybe it's other people are terrified when there is a feedback loop. Uh, maybe they're terrified when there is an expectation that they that they have to meet or maybe, you know. And it doesn't matter what it is. It's just, you know, of course, two strategists talking to each other is like figure out what to, what the weakness is or figure out what that challenge is and figure out other ways around it. But it sounds obvious, but think about it in your own context. Alrighty. So what has you afraid or terrified right now in your creative work or in your business? That's a really good question. And I'm saying that to buy myself time. Um, I'm in such a good place right now, Charlie. (laughs) Um, What has me really terrified? Um, I think that I would say I've been working the same plan for so long that I know I'm going to need to shake things up again soon, whether it's a new idea or it's a new model or it's a new venue for connecting with the next community, connecting with the next audience. Um, 
And I don't know what that is because I am still working the same plan. I mean, I've, the, the interesting thing is that it's been a really successful long-term plan. And, you know, you and I were talking before we got started that the last time we had actually seen each other was at this event you know, multiple years ago, I've been working the same plan since that event. And it has gone better than I could have ever imagined. It's done everything I've wanted it to do. Um, I'm nearing the end of that. What was it? A three-year plan. Uh, and it will keep going beyond that, but I'm nearing the end of the plan where, okay, the systems are in place. This works. It's time to move on. I don't know what I'm moving on to yet. I don't know what the next big idea is. I don't know what I want to explore next. I, I, it'd be hard to say that I'm terrified of it or that I'm even scared of it, but um, there is still that blank space that I am hurtling towards right now. And that is a little um, unnerving. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the career chasm, right? Where you're going up to the cliff, and you don't know how far that cliff is going to be, and you don't know right when it's going to happen. And um, yeah, so it, it might not be terror or fear, but it's like, hmm, <laughs> this is coming. Yeah. And you know, the other thing about that, too, is that I'm at a point in my business and my career where when I come up with that next idea or when I identify that next plan, it's not a little thing, right? It's going to be a big thing and it's going to require a big investment of time, energy, and money. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm really good at figuring out how to do things small at first. Um, you know, I'm not in I'm, it's not like I'm going to jump into something that's untested, but at the same time, it is going to be a leap when it is time to leap. Um, and so that probably is really scary that not only do I not know what the idea is, but what I do know is that it's going to require a huge investment of me. And if it goes, if it doesn't go well, um, that's going to be, that's going to be scary in and of itself. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I, I'm sensing that what's going to happen is that that's the time that you'll be presented with that thing and you won't be in control. And that's, what's going to be the terrifying thing about it is that it's like the opportunity will present itself and it'll be big. And it's like, crap. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're probably right about that. <laughs> um, seen the rodeo a few times, um, fallen off the bull quite a few times as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> what's the most unanticipated challenge that you're currently facing? Um, most unanticipated challenge I'm currently facing is I think still just finding the time to do everything that I want to do. I've been working so hard and teaching for so long that there's enough time in the day, that there's ways to find the space. And I'm at a place where what I love doing, what I doing I love so much that I'm constantly trying to fit more of it in. And that is an unex unanticipated challenge. Um, also, because I'm pretty lazy. <laughs> I really like taking time off. I really like taking a break. I like working short weeks and short days. And I'm at a point now where I love everything that I do so much that I could do it 12 hours a day. And I am inadvertently doing that to myself. And I do not like it. <laughs> yeah. And you reach a point in your career to where you can do a lot of 
moderate things well, but you can't do like many big things at the same time. Like in the, when you start talking about reaching that point, it's unfortunately maybe going to have to be some darlings that, that have to find their way out the door. And that's a hard, hard thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Alrighty. So starting to wrap things up here, if people could only remember one thing about you or your body of work um, from this episode, what would that be? It would be leverage most what's most effective for you. So instead of thinking about how everyone else is telling you what to do with your life, what to do with your business, uh, trying to um, take on everyone else's plans or formulas, forget that at least for a little bit and really focus on what makes you most effective and leverage that. All righty. Thank you so much for joining us today, Tara. It's been a pleasure to have you. Absolutely. Thank you, Charlie. All righty, listeners. So you heard it from Tara. What can you do to leverage what's most effective for you? What thing are you holding back or what should are you holding on to that you just need to let go and sink into your own power, whether that be quiet power, whether that just be your loud power, whatever that is, be you to the fullest. And until next time, stand tall. Thanks for listening to The Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, creative giant.